Welcome to the Randall McDaniel episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 64. I'm currently recording in Toronto, Canada, a beautiful, beautiful place, celebrating my brother's bachelor party, obviously. I'm the one who planned most of the activities. Shout out to my guy, Rosé, for helping me and being the guy on ground here in Toronto to make sure everything's going smoothly. Really just got back from Wonderland, just walked into the door, having a great time at the amusement park, You know, setting up some activities for tonight. We'll be doing uh, a suit fitting, among other things, before heading to dinner and relaxing before a night on the town. Oh! In the meantime... Night on the town! <laughs> a night on the town is necessary, man. It's bachelor party weekend, so we got to get it done, but... You, you're probably getting busy with free agency mode. Jordan Schultz at the Pull Up Pod, as always. We're getting ready for free agency mode with the Lakers clearing cap space, rumors of Jimmy Butler. Now there's rumors of Kimba going to Boston, Kyrie leaving. What happens with KD? What happens with Clay? Kawhi's taking meetings with the Lakers and the Clippers and allowing for Toronto to have the last pitch. So much to discuss. Where do we start first? A lot to unpack there. So... Assuming that everything goes smoothly on your uh, amusement ride situation um, and that you don't end up uh, loving Toronto so much to where you just end up leaving or staying in the amusement park for the next couple of days, um, I'm going to assume that you you get back to New York and we get to hang out and talk for agency and have some wine. But before that all happens and before you have your suit fitting, which you probably are going to be a little light on after being in China, I imagine you lost some weight. Is that correct? Uh... I might have lost a pound or two, but I did a great job of eating fast food. So I've been destroying salmon, salads, rices, noodles, things of that nature. So it's been it's been a nice it's been a nice change of speed, but definitely a lot of rice. I'm about one pound over my over what I played at this season, maybe two pounds over what I finished the season at. So I'm I'm right around game shape, game game weight. That's really good. So okay, well that that being said, I think we should start with uh, Kemba because he's been in the news a lot. I had been told a few days ago that Boston was a serious team. I didn't realize they were going to ultimately become a front runner. Um, but what has emerged with Boston is that clearly they. They they know they need a point guard. They know they need a point guard that will mesh with their young players. And I've I've told you, I think, all along, see, that I didn't think Terry Rozier would be there. I think you probably agreed with that. And and Kemba's a guy who's really in the prime of his career and does really well with young players. We've had him on the pod. He's been a he's been one of the real class citizens since he's been in the league. I think he would be a perfect fit there because he can play make, he can really score. He does a lot of the same things that Kyrie does. But I'm not sure he's quite as ball dominant, and I think he'd be a better fit for their culture. I definitely think Kimba would be great uh, in Boston. I think playing with Brad, being able to be on the ball, being able to be off the ball, uh, looking at how Kyrie was utilized. I think, obviously, uh, things didn't turn out the way they wanted to in the playoffs, but Kyrie had a great individual season uh, in the regular season. And I think Kimba's ability to shoot, his versatility on and off the ball, and how efficient he is with his ball handling and being able to get in and out of his moves, I think he'll be great. Like you said before, he's a ball-dominant player who can play off the ball. He can come off screens. Uh, Charlotte used him in a variety of ways to where he was coming off pin downs. He was coming off double staggers. And 
I think this is an ideal fit for him. Obviously, I'm sure he would have liked to stay in Charlotte, but I don't know if they're able to work a deal out. I don't know what the situation is. Maybe this is all just smokes and mirrors and Charlotte decides to give him the, the truckload of money that he's uh, worthy of receiving. But in the event that he's not, he has a lot of available suitors who would love to have him in their jersey. With that in mind, with Ky- Kyrie obviously leaving Boston, um, Brooklyn has emerged as the front runner. I think most people would say, I can tell you, based on conversations I've had that I think both sides are very interested in one another. That does not necessarily mean that Kyrie is going to be a net. I mean, anything can happen, but why don't we assume for the sake of argument that Kyrie Irving ultimately becomes a Brooklyn net. Where does that leave D'Angelo Russell? So the Brooklyn Nets would then renounce Russell. He becomes a free agent. D'Angelo is 23. He had his best year of his career. An all-star year. I think he is really now just realizing how good he can be, how good he is. The real question is, do the Lakers then emerge as the front runner for him? I think the Lakers definitely um, emerge as the front runner. They've already discussed their mutual interest in each other. Obviously, Magic played a role in D'Angelo being traded. He's no longer there. Magic's even come out to say that he's matured. He's a better player than he was before. So I think... D'Angelo being more mature, understanding the NBA, understanding the type of role and impact he could have with the Lakers organization, playing alongside the likes of a LeBron, the likes of an AD in a big market, being an established player who's showed he's all-star caliber player capable of leading his team to the playoffs. I think it's a situation they definitely are going to explore and look into. But one of the things my brother and I talked about, and he just texted me, he's going to be calling in shortly. One of the things we talked about on our car ride uh, from Wonderland was Malcolm Brockton, you know, him being a free agent and him being the type of player that would that would thrive in a situation like that. You're talking about a 50, 40, 90 guy who's low maintenance, low usage rate in terms of not needing the ball in his hands a lot, not needing plays drawn up for him. You know, a guy who can play off the ball alongside LeBron, who can space the floor. He also defends. Um, I think he would be you know, good in one of those types of situations. But I think D'Angelo's obviously a guy they're looking at. They have the money. Um, They basically were able to free up space with Anthony Davis waving his $4 million trade kicker. So now uh, with with that, along with the the likes of the trades between Mo Wagner's contracts, exactly, Jamario Jones, who received the shout-out from Lou Williams, that frees up space for them to be able to now sign another Monstar-like player. Yeah. I use the term Monstar because of the... Space Jam. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah I know where you're at. I like that. Um, CJ, here's the deal with um, with that. That's been the Lakers' goal all along. They needed to create the $32 million max slot. They're now in the process of doing that, which is great for them because now they can go out and get a third star. Um, right. I don't think D'Angelo... I don't think D'Load would go to L.A. and become a Laker unless he felt completely comfortable with being um, being there once again with a new, obviously a new front office and a new feeling around the organization and him because they obviously did not leave on good terms. And I think D'Angelo, now that he's established himself as the way he has, he, he feels like he is that guy now. And to go and play with LeBron and AD is, as enticing as it is, um, it has to be the right fit. Now, I actually think he would be a great fit because he can shoot it and he doesn't always have to have the ball. But you mentioned Brogdon. Brogdon's going to get paid a lot of money. And I, I, Milwaukee, they have made it a priority to re-sign Chris Middleton long-term. Milwaukee could have extended Brogdon last year. They didn't. Now they're in the position where they're going to have to pay him a serious bag to keep him. 
Um, he's, he has a lot of suitors. I know that to be a fact. And he's not going to take a discount, which he shouldn't. You mentioned him along with Eric. Do you think Brogdon would be a great fit in L.A.? Because obviously he's very efficient in the low, in the low usage. Yeah, I think he's probably the ideal fit. You know, Eric and I discussed Patrick Beverly. Um, obviously, some other role players who are capable of knocking down shots like J.J. Redick, those types of players. Obviously, today there's rumors Seth Curry may be of interest to the Lakers. Um, Danny Green may be of interest to the Lakers and so on and so forth. They're looking for specialty guys, guys who can more specifically shoot, who don't need to have the ball in their hands a lot, but also can defend and provide some other intangibles um, to the Lakers unit. Looking at LeBron, looking at AD, looking at their lack of depth from a bench standpoint because they've had to sacrifice so many pieces. They need guys who don't need the ball in their hands but can still figure out ways to impact the game, which is why they're looking at J.R. Smith and those types of players. But I think Malcolm Brogdon is, is probably an ideal candidate for this position. I'm not sure how much he's going to demand in the open market. Like you said before, he's probably due a large uh, payday based on versatility need for his position and how a lot of teams are going to be waiting on marquee free agents to sign and they're going to strike out because every team can't can't land a superstar caliber player just not possible there's too many there's too many uh variables that go into decision making so when they strike out on the likes of a Kawhi, on the likes of a tobias harris on the likes of a jimmy butler who's rumored to go to houston i think at that point you start turning the page and looking at those higher level second tier guys. So like a Malcolm Brogdon who might be in that $20 million range as opposed to that $30 million range per year to where you're looking to, to kind of plug some spots. And then you go to the Patrick Beverly's level of, of player who you get a serviceable offensive player. Not going to, you know, wow you with crazy versatility at the offensive end, but a guy who's going to average about, you know, seven to 10 points a game. He's going to shoot 39% from three. He's going to lock up and, and take the challenge on the best um, offensive player on, on each team and, and allow LeBron to rest and allow the wing to rest and whoever else they bring in. Um, so I think those are some of the factors that will go into the decision-making process of these teams who are loading up, you know, giving up a lot of assets uh, for, for star caliber players while lacking that, that bench depth and that versatility, you know, outside of your first three or four guys. Yeah, yeah. And I think with Brogdon, um, you know, it, it ultimately benefited him in a weird way that he got hurt because – they, they struggled, Milwaukee did, without him. And then when he came back, you saw how important he was to their success on both sides of the ball. Um, and, I, you know, I, I like big guards that can do different things uh, that are versatile combo guys. Obviously, you're one of those guys, see, that can really impact the game in different ways and be low-maintenance, high-character, you know, good locker room people. You mentioned Malcolm. Beverly is interesting because um, he will be cheaper, cheaper than Brogdon. He's older. But he does bring a certain level of toughness and tenacity that the Lakers simply did not have last year. Do you think that he would be, I guess, what, at what price would he be worth it? And, and what could he give the Lakers that maybe some of these bigger names couldn't? Because obviously with Beverly, you're talking about a guy who is a real dog and, and, and is absolutely not afraid of anybody. Yeah. W- welcome, my brother, to the pull-up pod. Eric in the building. Thanks for having me. What's up, Eric? Hey, what's up, guys? How you guys doing? We're great. We good. Obviously, man. it looks like you guys are great on the theme park rides. <laughs> yeah, we're recovering. <laughs> My nerves aren't the best right now, but I'm glad to, that we got out of there. All right. I want CJ and Eric. Before we get back to free agency, I wonder uh, post amusement park ride, 
Could a could a cryo tank session be helpful? Definitely. Everything hurts because you're squeezing, you're squeezing the handle, you're squeezing the pad on the roller coaster ride, and your abs, your legs, hamstrings, everything's tight because you're so afraid and nervous during the entire ride. Eric, what do you think about that? Uh, definitely could use a little ice bath by now. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were flexing more than someone in the in the pageant, you know. Just, wow. Wow. Just glad to get um, out of there and it'd be all right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, Eric, we were just talking about some of the free agents possibly. We talked about Brogdon potentially becoming a Laker, and I was just asking CJ about about Pat Beverly and what he would bring to the table. Yeah, I mean, I think those are two two very good players. Um, you know, they they can both play with a star. You know, Beverly played with James Harden, so he's used to playing without the ball, playing off of it. Um you know, Brogdon played with Giannis, so he's also used to playing off the ball. They're good at space in the court, which would be good for um, LeBron to have his space or AD to have their space to kind of create to do what they do, to go to work. And, you know, somebody who doesn't really need the ball to be effective or to have an imprint on the game. And that's kind of guys that the Lakers tend to need going forward with the new roster. See, um, question for you would be somebody like, uh, Brogdon or Beverly or Deload, guys that are have been linked to the Lakers. What's the sacrifice in terms of handling the ball when you're playing with LeBron, and how does that play into, especially someone like D'Angelo or Malcolm who are younger? How does that play into their development? Oh, it's a big sacrifice, and I think it's something that a Patrick Beverly or Malcolm Brogdon is more suited for. Not that D'Angelo can't handle being in that role, but I think D'Angelo's used to having the ball in his hands. He's used to taking big shots down the stretch. He's used to having a high usage rate, although he shared some of the load with Spencer Dinwiddie and some of the other wings in Brooklyn. He hasn't played with this type of dog, not to mention he has two of them on his team. I think Malcolm Brogdon haven't played with Giannis, who's very ball dominant, you know, who initiates the offense a lot. He played with Eric Bledsoe, another another guy who's has a high usage rate in terms of bringing the ball up. He played with a Chris Middleton. He's played with multiple all-stars on his team to where he's used to, you know, kind of figuring out how to contribute, when to find his own, maybe a little bit better off the ball in a sense of catch and shoot and not needing a lot of dribbles to get into his stuff. Patrick Beverly, as Eric said before, played with James Harden. James Harden is the king of dominating the ball. He's he's has the ball for, you know, 15, 20 seconds in shot clock possessions. He's obviously elite offensively off the dribble. And Beverly, in, when he was in those situations, was used to playing off the ball. Although he initiated the offense some, he became more of a spot-up shooter, a guy who had limited touches but a big impact. D'Angelo, you're talking about a guy who averaged 20-plus points per game, you know, one of the leaders in the NBA in mid-range shots, and obviously those mid-range shots are coming off the dribble. So that's a, that's the one thing he'd have to adjust with, but I think he's capable and he's the type of player who he wants to win. He knows how to play basketball. He'd be able to do it. But I think in this particular case, I think that a Patrick Beverly or a Malcolm Brogdon may be better for their team because of the role they would play offensively and defensively while not having the ball as much. Yeah. Eric, what do you think? Are you in uh, agreement? Because the one thing I will say is, We've seen guy. We've seen players with LeBron struggle because they haven't had the chance to take those shots they're normally used to taking and make those plays that they normally get to make. Yeah, I agree with CJ. I think that um, LeBron is so dominant, and now you're throwing in the AD factor as well. That you know, D'Angelo would be maybe a shell of himself. Um, he still is a great player, but he wouldn't be able to fully show. You know, his capabilities off the pick and roll, his ability to make plays for other people and to be that lead guard that he is. And 
a lot of times where you're young, when you take a big leap, you know, in your career and in your style like that, it could be, you know, a momentum buster to who you could become because, you know, a lot of times if you're not using your skills or if you're not putting those situations in game-like situations, um, you tend to lose that touch and that feel to adjust or that confidence level. Um, you've seen it with players in the past. So I think that just based on experience um, with Brogdon and with Beverly being in situations where they have to figure out where to score, you know, off of guys rather than you being the one who initiates the offense or you being the one who initiates your own bucket. You know, those are guys who are used to scoring, you know, off of ball reversals, off of kickouts or off of the main player creating the action for them. And they're also a lot cheaper, which could allow the Lakers to maybe pick up another piece or two. Um, so I think that might be maybe the best move to make because even if you have a team of three great stars, if you don't have a bench or depth, you know, as you see, it could be troublesome, as we've seen in the finals for the Warriors. Yeah, one 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 name to keep an eye out for with the Lakers is Jeff Green. He's not going to be like a sexy free agent, but I do think he would be a great fit with LeBron. They're 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 tight. They have a good history in Cleveland, and I think he could be helpful for them. Um, I would not be surprised if Jeff Green became a Laker. Um, and speaking of trades obviously cj evan turner um someone you have grown ex- extremely close with and and value as a human being and teammate he's traded to the hawks for kent Bazemore. it is a, a stark reality of here's how the nba business works and ultimately friendships are at a premium but we don't care because if this makes our team better this is what we're going to do yeah, it's a tough situation. Obviously, you know, from my Instagram post, people got a better understanding of the type of person ET is. You know, not only is he a guy who helps your team, you know, being able to be a, a de facto point forward, de facto type point guard who can initiate the offense, he can get guys going. He's gotten multiple triple doubles off the bench, but he's a great person. He's one of the realest people I've ever been around, one of the realest teammates I've seen and had the pleasure of playing with. He's honest every day. His mood never changes, regardless of if he's playing well, if he's shooting poorly. He's confident in himself as we've seen in the playoffs with him making those big free throws down the stretch of a game seven you know in the biggest games where we needed him he showed up and he delivered and it stems from our relationship off the court going to Ohio State football games him him allowed me to bring out all my homies you know him organizing dinners on the road, having parties at his house, you know, picking up costumes for us to dress up to games. He did all the little things to help make our team better, to help us get along uh, better. And I think that that led to us performing at an elite level in crucial situations because of those relationships that we were able to build. So like when I was talking about him as a person, I think it's, it's hard to see your, your teammate get traded because a lot of times you're friends with them. It's more than just a working relationship. Like, we we're going to kick it for the rest of life. We're going to go to football games together. I'm going to I'm going to have him come to a Browns game with me this year. Like there's just so much that you do uh, with friends, so you miss those moments. But with that being said, it's a business. Um, Et's in a position where he's comfortable. He's been able to take care of his family for a long time. And as he said in his Instagram post, he's going to name his dog Neil because of the amount of bread he was able to get out of this deal. So I'm happy for him that he'll be in a situation where he'll be utilized, uh, being able to help Trey Young mold him into a better player. And I'm happy we're in a position where, you know, we were able to get a guy like Kent Bazemore in the trade. You know, a guy who's 3 and D, he can help us right away. He has a championship pedigree, haven't been around the Golden State Warriors, haven't been around that process of what it takes uh, to be able to win at the highest level consistently. And he's hungry. 
He's an underdog uh, mentality mentality type player from a mid-major. So I'm looking forward to seeing you know, what, what else we do um, this summer and how we can improve individually and collectively as a team before starting next season. CJ, I believe that Kevin Durant is still the kingmaker of this entire free agency process. I think he's the most important domino to fall. Um, I've been very clear. I think he's the best player in the world. And whether or not he chooses the Knicks uh, remains to be seen. But what is important with KD is that you're talking about a person that can help cultivate and change an entire culture because of his values, his ability to connect with younger players. He's a superstar, but he's a superstar that doesn't have the same ego as others in terms of, I'm willing to share. I'm willing to help you become your best player. I've, I've talked about it with Marshawn Lynch. He's the very similar. He was very similar with young running backs. Hey, you go out and make a play. Let me help you. And I, I don't know. I just think Kevin, he's going to be the guy that ultimately decides a lot of free agency. And I wonder for you, who's your kingmaker, if you will? Is it Kevin or Jimmy or Kyrie? Or who do you look at and say, this is the chip that falls? I think personally... I don't even, I mean, there's a lot of great free agents, but I think that the the overall theme of this summer is the fact that Kevin Durant gets hurt, Clay Thompson gets hurt. In this situation, every team puts all the chips forward. Everybody's all in. Everybody's all in looking at ways to try to take advantage of this window. And it, it, it it's sad to say, like, take advantage of this window because you never want to see anybody get hurt. You never want to see KD go down. You never want to see Clay go down. But I think teams are looking at this as an opportunity to where they feel like it's more open than it has been in past years for multiple teams having chances to win a championship. Like, I think the odds are as close as they've been going into a season to where you have, I don't know, seven, eight teams, nine, ten teams, depending on how free agency goes, that legit have a chance at winning an NBA championship. Whereas in in past years, people would argue that it was a two-man race, a three-man or three-team race um, heading into the season. Eric, you? Yeah, I think... um for the first time, um, maybe in the last four or five years, um, the NBA and all the coaches view it as really open um, as far as a chance to win a championship. So, anytime you know you see you know guys of that caliber, of the KD, the Clay Thompson being injured and kind of weakening uh, a formal team of Golden State, teams are going to react um, maybe more so than normal when they feel like you have a chance or you feel like maybe you're a piece away or you know, maybe a, a trade here or a free agent signing here. Um, I think teams are going to react and teams are going to make, you know, the big leap to try to get to that level. Um, you know, I think a good example of it is the Raptors, but, you know, how they took that risk in trading, you know, DeRozan, who still have two years left on his deal and taking the risk of signing the Kawhi Leonard. I think that gives teams, you know, maybe a little hope that maybe this isn't, you know, a bad way to go. You know, maybe if you put in all the chips, you can't cash out. So um, I could see a lot more movement and teams who, I feel like they have a chance. I could see them, you know, making some changes to the roster and making a splash trying to get one of those big names. You love to cook, but you're not in the mood to do the dishes tonight. Watch your favorite show with your favorite people instead and get it delivered with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to all your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Just use the DoorDash app and choose what you want to eat and your dasher will bring it right up to you wherever you are. Not only is that burger place you love on DoorDash already, but over 310,000 other amazing restaurants are too. DoorDash connects you with door-to-door delivery in over 3,300 cities in all 50 states across the United States and Canada. Don't worry about dinner. 
Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code PULLUP. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code PULLUP. Again, that's promo code PULLUP for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Okay, back to the show. See, um, I don't know if you've, you've talked to him while you've been in China, but the one guy I would look at for, for you, you talk about your squad, is, is, is Chief. Um, have you talked to Aminu? about his, his summer because, obviously, he was one of your most important guys throughout the playoffs. Yeah, Chief and I, we, we steam, I'm part of Steam Room Mafia, so shout out to my guys, you know, E.T., Ed Davis is a part of Steam Room Mafia, Pat was a part of Steam Room Mafia for a little bit. We adopted some of the younger guys, and it evolved into Mo, Chief, E.T., and I would sporadically, you know, be involved in, in Steam Room Mafia. So we talked a little bit about free agency, and I don't like to get involved in people's personal affairs and personal business, just kind of figuring out their mindset and like, heading into a summer, you know, what he, what he's looking for in a city or a team. And obviously he wants to stay in Portland. He's comfortable there. His his family is comfortable there. Um, he's, do, he's doing a lot of different things in the community. So from that standpoint, I think he wants to be there. It's just a matter of what our organization is trying to do and if they're able to come to terms uh, to an agreement. So, and I'm a type of guy who I always like my guys. I like to be around guys that I've been around, you know, for years at a time, guys I have a relationship with, uh, players that are most likely going to be in my wedding. You know, those are the type of guys I like to be around and like to play with, but it's it's above my pay grade, man, so I'm not sure what's going to happen. I, I Once it gets close, I don't bring it up. I just ask how he's doing personally, you know, how his vacation is going, how right. his travel's going, kids' camps he's doing. Um, I know he has a 40-acre um, farm in Jamaica that's a sustainable farm where he's doing some different things like that to help make the world a better place. So that's more the conversations I have with Chief and um, – Obviously, I want to see him back. I'd like to see him back, but it's it's above my pay grade, man. And the organization has to do what's best for them in terms of evaluating dollars and, and production and, and what they think is best for us. There, there's not a better way to get a sense of an organization than how the players feel because ultimately the players are the most important pieces. And um, be, being that, CJ, that you are somebody that has a lot of relationships throughout the league with players and obviously – uh, marquee guys as well. Have you, do players, like, do guys reach out to you? Because, like, I, I know I know guys will ask me, what do you think about this place? But I don't have the, like, firsthand experience. Have Has anybody, or will you ever reach out to guys and say, hey, here's what it's like here? Um, will they ask you, how, do the, how does the organization treat its players? What's the team vibe like? Like, how does that go down? 
Yeah, absolutely. If a free agent or a potential player or even coach or whatever the case may be um, inquires about our organization and what it's like, I tell them. I have no problem reaching out and explaining to them what it's like to, to play in Portland, what it's like to be an African-American athlete in Portland, what it's like to um, have to travel, what it's like on a day-to-day basis dealing with um, – Staff, what certain staff are like, how our organization runs things, what time we got to be in the building, just a, a general breakdown understanding of the type of people we're around every day, the, the type of organization we are, which is first class, and and how, you know, based on what I've seen in my six years and going into my seventh season, we have a rare culture to where everyone really gets along. The organization really cares about you. They put you first. They put your health first. They're always looking at ways to kind of better your life and your day-to-day. So I have no problem doing that. Am I going to really attack and go after free agents? No, I'm not. If, if, if we have a chance to get someone and they want to reach out or they want me to talk to them, I will, but I'm not going to keep coercing or, or trying to convince people to come. I think players have a free will and free choice. Yeah. You should do what's best for yourself and your family and whatever, whatever else your morals are, that's important. But if you have questions, I'll be here for you, but I'm not going to try to you know, beg you to come. You know what Portland's like. You've been there. I can tell you what it's like to live there. I can tell you what our team is like. I can tell you how you can help our team, and that's that. I thought it was funny when I think it was it Lou Will that said, "You'll you'll love Toronto when you first go there, but after two months, you'll be over it." <laughs> that's funny, man. I I love I love Toronto. Well, the reason I'm asking is because you're obviously in Toronto, CJ and Eric, and uh, I I think it's an awesome. Uh, NBA city and basically just to quote he says being in Toronto is like being overseas uh this is Lou Williams once you're there you'll love playing for the Raptors um but then that fourth fifth month he says into the season you're like god damn I want to go home because I because I play overseas exactly right I was just going to say now Canada is not Russia but Eric please fill us in Toronto is not even half close to overseas I mean first of all when you're overseas, a lot of places, um, the English language is not spoken. And if it is spoken, it's only in the major cities. So you're talking about the capitals, you're talking about the highly populated areas. That's a lot of time where the major universities are. So um, in my city, I was in Kazan, Russia. English was very limited. Um, in Toronto, it's tons of English. Um, a lot of American restaurants, uh, everything is comfortable, everything is the same. Um, doesn't feel like a overseas country at all. I mean, even like as far as some countries that I've played in, um, the political situation is different. Um, maybe you aren't as free to talk about certain leaders or to say certain things or maybe even to speak upon, you know, the government. I've also played in countries where um, they kind of filter what can be searched on the Internet, you know, about their political leaders or their country. So, you know, it's not the same thing. Um, it's not even close. Canada basically feels like the U.S., um, but they got free health care and a couple other benefits. <laughs> so, I don't That's know what true. Lou was talking about. Maybe Lou was just recruiting or maybe trying to trying to plant a seed or something, but nah, Toronto's a great city. Yeah, and, and just to, to follow up with that, I know Lou, and I've been in Toronto now 
How long I've been I've been coming to Toronto and working out. I did four straight summers here. I used to work out with their national team. Uh, coach Triano was the head coach. DV was on staff. I used to come here in the summer and work out. And this place is beautiful, man. It, it's it's really a, a beautiful place. It's clean. It has a little bit of everything. Obviously, nightlife is available. They have Wonderland. So, I mean, I like the city, but I think Lou Will more so was just talking about how just the little stuff. You have to go through customs every time you fly. Just those types of little things probably uh, became annoying. But from an understanding of the city, what it has to offer from a basketball standpoint, from a support standpoint, this place is great. And looking at Lou's Instagram, he said, once you're there, you'll love playing for the Raptors. You'll love playing for the whole country. Then that fourth, fifth month, you want to go home. But in his in his caption, he stated that, I don't know how this got interpreted as a diss to Toronto. Canada was and is a dope place to play, which is what I've heard from all players historically he said it has its challenges any player on your current team will echo that so that's not a diss it's just the fact that playing in Toronto is unlike playing for any other team in the NBA that was his point no diss no disrespect so basically he said it was just different than his experiences in LA his experiences in Atlanta and those types of situations which is his opinion I think it's fair for him to have that opinion on the city because he played there and only he knows how Lou Williams feels about it but based on my experiences I've enjoyed being in Toronto I think Eric has I think Lou will enjoy being in Toronto he was just saying that it was different than what he was accustomed to and and mainly because it's it's not it's it's not a team in the United States this is this is and its own entity. This is a separate place. So it's a unique situation. Yeah. I think Toronto is like, uh, I've always thought Toronto was a sleeping giant as an NBA city. Uh, players love it. Coaches love it. We had Danny Green on, uh, C member a, a few months back, and he was like, yeah, I mean, it's hard because customs and, and things of this nature. But in terms of quality, I don't know if Toronto is in the top. I, 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 I would feel comfortable saying, Toronto's a top five to eight NBA city. Easy, and, um, easy. You know, there's a lot of good ones. Easy. And and Danny was just talking more so about getting this car here. There's a lot right. of things you have to do, like a lot of loopholes you have to go over to, you know, certain types of milk. What do you say? The milk was in a bag. Right. There's just like different things that you have to adjust to. But like as Eric said before, you know, you, you could be in certain countries like Turkey and, you know, and it's, and it's, you know, as a guy who's not welcome back there. You know what I mean? There's different situations to where you can really feel like you're not in America. Yeah, hey, Eric, um, I'm curious for you. Like, what was your what was your welcome to Russia moment this year? Um, CJ and I were watching one of your playoff games a few weeks back, and for me, just watching it on TV, it was like it's what what really stood out was the stylistic nature of the game, how half court oriented it was, um, and then just the fact that you everybody's speaking Russian. Like, what? How do you deal with all that? Yeah, I mean. My first welcome moment was um, when I had to bust out the winter coat, um, I think in early October, and <laughs> I don't think I put it up until May 1st. So I, <laughs> that was the adjustment for me. It was so cold, and it snowed all the time. But um, I didn't realize that, you know, how few people spoke English. So little things like, you know, they're talking about customs and bothering them for, like, Toronto. I mean, we go to customs every game when we play in Europe. When you play in the Euro League or Euro Cup, every game you're flying somewhere is customs. So, I mean... Yeah, I guess you know, we've become used to it, but little things like going to the store, not knowing what type of meat something is that you're pulling right. out your translation at. Uh, is this, uh, what type of beef is this? Is this cow? Is this um, chicken? And you're asking certain type of questions or, you know, maybe you want to find something in the grocery store and, you know, you can't really read the signs. Um, another thing was like, 
they had to teach us the roads um, because there's like bus lanes and there's like different times when you can switch in the lanes. Um, they have like different paint signs on the street. So you don't know um, if you're not from Russia, you know, you don't know what those signs mean. But then once you understand it and they explain it to you, you know, you you start to adjust. I think so early in the year, I think I had got a ticket for driving in a bus lane. You know, I didn't know it was a bus lane, but I think I was there like the first couple of days and they got me. But, you know, little things like that. Those are the adjustments as far as Europe, I say. But you know, that's when I kind of learned that, wow, it's a lot different here. Like, because I had played in a lot of major cities, um, Istanbul, um, Tel Aviv, Athens. And, you know, pretty much there, everybody speaks English. But this time, you know, it wasn't the same in Russia. Yeah. Oh, I, I can imagine. I mean, I barely speak English, CJ. So. <laughs> <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Uh, before I let you guys... <laughs> Is that the Kawhi laugh, Toronto? Okay. Before I let you guys go, <laughs> see, I'm I'm funny. I'm funny when I'm when I'm when I'm really focused. If I'm not focused, I'm just I'm not. So, I'm not funny. so you're like a so you're like a overhyped Julius Randle is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of Juju, by the way. He's going to have a market, and um, I can tell you that. He's about to get paid. I was just, yeah, he's about to get paid. He had a great year. He's I'm about happy to get for him. Some, I am too, and I think the Knicks are certainly on the table. Um, he, he has four or five really good options. Um, but, okay, last thing before I let you guys go enjoy the rest of the bachelor party um, is this. NBA Awards, did anything surprise you at all? I guess for me, um, I was a little bit surprised although not disappointed, but a little bit surprised that Gobert got the Defensive Player of the Year. I That was my only like, oh, okay moment. I think for me, I wasn't really surprised because they judge team success a lot of times. So like Giannis winning MVP, James had an incredible year. He was great. He scored 30 against every team. He scored 60. He scored 50. He's the first player to really put up those type of numbers since Michael Jordan. But I think people were so happy with how Giannis played consistently on both sides of the ball. I think that made a difference. His PER was high. His defensive, I think his defensive production was higher than it was higher than Kevin Garnett and Kevin Garnett's best year. And you know what type of impact Kevin Garnett had defensively. I think all those things kind of played a factor. Some people will say that it was the global impact of the game that they were looking for um, with, with giving Giannis the MVP, you know, obviously making the game more global. But I think Giannis won the landslide. I thought the voting should have been closer. But I, I think that in this particular case, Giannis' impact on that team was, was unbelievable. 60-plus wins. Like, he really impacted both sides of the ball in a crazy way, but you could have gave him co-MVP. Honestly, you could have you could have split it down the middle and gave it both to him. But I think that kind of dilutes the uh, the award and the trophy. How about you, Eric? I can understand um, just based on you know my career and just seeing how things go. You know, team success is always rewarded. Um, it's the same overseas in Europe as well. Um, you know, when your team is really successful, and I think I believe the Bucks had sixty wins. Um, you know, they're going to tend to lean towards that because they feel like. You know, the best player on the best team you know, usually has the most impact on that. But James Harden was incredible. But there's been many years where, you know, Michael Jordan has had outstanding years and didn't get the MVP or LeBron James or Kobe Bryant. And there were some years where maybe someone didn't put up the same numbers. Maybe the year Steve Nash had won it, but he was excellent. And the Suns were great. And I think that year Kobe didn't get MVP. Um, so 
And you have to understand, like, it's tough to be reward, you know, individual success to be reward team success, or you try to find the combo. And I think with Giannis, I mean, there is both. It can go either way. And as far as go work and defensive MVP, um, you know, I think that was that was a slight surprise. I think I didn't expect that one either. Um, I feel like there could have been even some more candidates, you know, involved in that process. But, you know, what do I know? But um, at the end of the day, I think um, the majority of it played out you know, as expected. Did you agree with Siakam over D'Lo for most improved and, and Bud over Doc? Doc? I think Doc did a crazy good job with what he was given um, this season. That's a great point. I mean, even yeah. Julius you know, Randle could be in there for the most improved. Yeah, I feel like Doc Rivers, he did not get enough credit until later on in the season because after the Clippers traded Tobias Harris, there was a thought around the league, and I certainly thought so as well, that they would – they were really focusing more on the draft, their future, the summer. Um, and clearly, they I would almost argue they got better after that trade. And we saw what they did in the playoffs against the Warriors, stealing a couple games um, in the Bay. So Doc deserves a ton of credit. Obviously, Coach Bud uh, elevates Milwaukee in a way that they had not been before. But uh, Doc certainly was in that conversation. I mean, yeah, you could throw the Brooklyn coach in the mix, too. Uh, I mean, no one yeah, thought Brooklyn Atkinson. would be that solid with that young core. Uh, I mean, there's always, it's, it's so tough to really, to really gauge. But, you know, for sure, Doc did a, a heck of a job. I thought they were in the water too when they got rid of Tobias. I, I didn't understand what was happening, but um, they, I think they built around it and they, they brought the team together even more so and, and they found a way to be successful. But Doc was definitely a central part of that. CJ, were you surprised at all? And also, um, you mentioned most improved. Siakam was unbelievable. But D-Load went from being basically the Lakers saying, we don't want you here, to going to Brooklyn to becoming a legitimate all-star player. And there there were people that really felt like he should have got it. So I guess what surprised you the most? I think the fact that Siakam was on the team that won it all, although the voting takes place before that, I think that played a factor. He went from 7 points to 17 points on, on the team with the what? Best record. They had the best record in the NBA this year. Yeah. Best or second best record second. in the NBA. And he was a key key factor in that. This is this is a team whose best player only played 50, what, 54, 55 games? Kawhi played – Kawhi missed at least 30 games this year or close to 30 games this year. So they were winning a lot of games without Kawhi, and that means Kyle Lowry was stepping up, the role players were stepping up, and Siakam was killing. So I think that played a factor, but it's hard to – it's hard to give that award out because there's always multiple players that improve in a year and have great jumps and great leaps. Yeah, I mean, every year we're gonna have this. So, I, Siakam's awesome. He he, what he did in the playoffs, the way he's transformed himself into uh, just just two way player that can dominate a game without touching the ball is is really special. Um, CJ, parting thoughts for you on Eric and this amazing bachelor party. What are the what are the plans? Man, we're looking forward to it. Just just got a, a copy of the the revised final schedule. We got a suit fitting later on today. Complimentary suit shots to my guys taking care of us out here. We got a private dinner on Friday. Cocktail hour, nightclub action. We got a yacht party on Saturday, a little cabana action. You know what I'm saying? A little private party later on in that evening. And then we got Le Brunch 
Le Brunch Day Party and another private party to finish the night. So it's going to be a nice little event. A lot of the homies coming out to show love to Big Bro on his, on his last hurrah. You know, I got some special things that we're going to put through the works. Obviously, a lot of celebrating, obviously. Um, uh, adult beverages will be involved in this process. And whatever else Big Bro wants, it's his time to shine. We went to Wonderland for the first time. He had a good time. And uh, we're going to get it in with the homies one last time. Wow, that sounds epic. Eric, uh, are you, on a one to ten, how excited are you about this uh, endeavor? <laughs> yeah, my fiance going to listen to this. I can't be having too much fun without it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it. My brother's been a great host. And, you know, I just wanted to be around good people, good energy, good vibe, and have a change of scenery. So it's always nice to you know, see and explore a new place. And, you know, I've just come accustomed to just traveling, seeing different places. And, you know, I think that's kind of why I chose Toronto. I just wanted something different. And, and I just look forward to just kicking it with the homies again and, and just having something positive to celebrate, you know, so much negativity in the world. Anytime you got, you know, something to collab or to come together and it doesn't have to be, you know, a tragedy. It's always, you know, something that I look forward to. So I'm glad we can have this moment. Yeah. Um, somebody recently told me they were like, you, it was actually at, at a bris, and of all things, I know. But they said, you, we, 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 we drop everything that we're doing for funerals and events of this nature, but it's the great celebratory things that we don't pay attention to enough and don't do enough for ourselves and for our communities, our, our, our friends, our family. So I'm really happy you guys are doing it. And uh, please be safe, CJ. It's on you to keep Eric, to keep Big Bro safe for the weekend. Absolutely. You know, I definitely will. And we can revisit the uh, wine of the week next week because I'm sure we're going to have a lot of wines to digest in these next couple of days. So I have some great stuff on tap for you. That sounds great, fellas. Have a blast and we'll talk real soon. All right. Appreciate it. Hey, big bro. Appreciate you coming on the pull up pod, man. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com backslash pull up with CJ or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up.